We've reached that portion of the service where we're going to be looking at our second scripture passage this morning, and it comes from Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 13. Again, that's Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 13. And in this passage, Jesus is going to be giving some instructions about the content of our prayers, but also some instruction about persevering in prayer. So I'd encourage you to listen in this morning. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as John has taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything." I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, is there anyone among you, who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. And Lord, we thank you that as we come before you, we don't have to have everything figured out. That, Lord, there's plenty of opportunity to, to learn, to grow, to mature, to learn from you, to learn from other people. And Father, I pray that today we would have that posture of being receptive to whatever you desire to speak to us. So, Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and lives that are ready to go and live out your truth. And now, Lord, I ask humbly that you would speak through me this morning. I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and over these next few moments that our lives would be changed. It's in Christ's name that we ask all these things. Amen. Well, Jesus was prone to pray. I mean, Scripture makes that very clear. It wasn't that he just prayed on occasion. It wasn't just that he prayed when he was in a pinch or when something difficult was about to happen. Quite the contrary, in fact, in Luke's gospel alone, he records Jesus praying some 15 times. Now, keep in perspective, Luke records a lot of other things from Jesus' life. He records healings and miracles, and, and when he records those healings and miracles, those happen about 14 or 15 times also in Luke's gospel. So Luke makes it pretty plain, and, and he makes it pretty plain pretty quickly that prayer for Jesus is a pretty big deal. It's a big part of his life. And if we can notice that as we're reading the Gospels, imagine how apparent it must have been for those first followers, the disciples who were walking with him and talking with them. They surely noticed what a regular practice this was for Jesus. In fact, it seems that someone took note of it so much to the point where he comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. 
Now again, maybe we're hearing those words this morning, or maybe we see this disciple come running up to Jesus, and it seems out of place. I mean, this is a guy who's walked with Jesus. This is a guy who's been talking with Jesus. Surely he's had the opportunity to hear and listen in as Jesus prays. You'd think maybe he would pick up on something by now. But regardless, he wants to know how to pray. He acknowledges that he doesn't have it all figured out, and he knows that not only he needs help, but the other disciples need help in this regard as well. And for good reason. I mean, think about this group of disciples, this group of first followers who are there with Jesus. I mean, these guys are doers. They like to be active in their faith, and prayer oftentimes seems like a very passive sort of thing to do. I mean, these are fishermen and tax collectors. They're they're farmers. These are folks who were drawn to Jesus by a call to action. Jesus called out to them as they were aboard their boats, and he said, follow me, and they dropped their nets and went after him. He spoke to to them as they were sitting at tax booths and said, follow me. And they left behind their work and went off to follow him. And throughout these years that they've been walking and talking together, they've been involved in active ministry. They've been there as Jesus has brought healing. They've been there as he he fed the 5,000. They helped him pass out the loaves and the fish. They've gone out sent two by two, proclaiming the kingdom of God to anyone and everyone who will listen. These are men who find their hearts stirred, their faith renewed. They find excitement and passion as they go out and actively engage in work. But prayer? Prayer's different. Prayer is talking to God and and listening for God's voice and It doesn't seem maybe quite as active as all these other faith-oriented things that they've been engaged in. I mean, think about bold, brash Peter, who we read about time and again throughout the Gospels. I mean, this is a guy who has active faith. His faith is so active that he's excited. And when Jesus says, come out of the boat, Peter leaps out. He's ready to put his faith to the test. And then you had the sons of thunder. You had James and John. Again, these two men who were very active in their faith. Sitting there and talking to God and listening for God to respond. Maybe that wasn't something that came natural to them. It seems so passive, so inactive. Especially when there's an entire mission field out there. When there are so many people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Who need to hear, heal, experience this healing touch. They want to actively engage. Now that's not to say that they hadn't prayed over the course of their lives. I mean, most of them were good, devout Jews who had been raised and steeped in that faith from the time they were young. That meant they would recite the Shema each and every morning. And they'd undoubtedly heard and been part of the prayers that were offered up on Sabbath, the holy days, the fast, the feast. They knew and had recited many of them each and every year. They knew the prayers of blessings, prayers that had been offered in their homes, maybe prayers that a family member had offered up. Yet all those prayers were different, different from the ones that they had been hearing recently from the disciples of John. John being Jesus' cousin. He had taught his disciples to pray, and as they prayed, Jesus' disciples saw something different in their prayers. There was a freshness. There was a vitality. There, there was something different. 
These weren't like the rote prayers that they had memorized from the time that they were young. They weren't those corporate prayers that had been offered up at the feast and the festivals. No, these were more personal. There was something intimate about them. It spoke about daily life and the things of life. There was power in them. There was something moving about them. They spoke about the here and now. They dreamt of what God might do and they invited God to work in their lives. For the disciples, this was something new. This was something they weren't used to. It caught their attention. It captivated them. And so looking at John's disciples, they said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John has taught his disciples how to pray. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to Jesus' disciples this morning. Maybe for you, the concept of praying, the idea of talking to God and then sitting and listening for God's voice, maybe that seems like a strange concept to you. Maybe it seems rather foreign. And so maybe like the disciples, you join in that prayer this morning, Lord, teach us to pray. Or teach us why we pray. Or maybe the concept of, uh, of praying and talking to God for yourself, maybe that's the strange part for you. Maybe you're used to having a priest or a pastor or a family member be the person who offers up the prayer on your behalf because you don't know what to say. You just don't even know where to begin. And so maybe like the disciples, that's your prayer this morning. Lord, teach us, teach me how to pray. Or maybe you're someone who's grown up in the church. Maybe you've been raised in a Christian home. Maybe you went through Sunday school. Maybe even you went through confirmation. And again and again, someone said, prayer is an important part of your walk with God. Prayer is something that's necessary and vital. Prayer is something you should do. But no one's ever taught you. Much like tying your shoes, no one's ever helped you understand how to do it. And so you've sat there and you've tried to pray, but you just find your mind going in all these different directions. Or maybe you just find yourself constantly interrupted that you can't even sit there and be quiet and sit in God's presence. And so maybe like those disciples, you're saying, Lord, teach me how to pray. You see, wherever you are in your relationship with God today, wherever you are in this journey of faith that we're on, there's something that each and every one of us needs to be reminded of today when it comes to our prayer lives. When it comes to having that conversation with God and listening for God's voice. And I can say that with confidence because there's this word that is translated as disciple in the New Testament. It's a Greek word and it's methetes. And that Greek word methetes is literally transferred as, uh, translated as learner or pupil. Someone who attaches themselves to a teacher in hopes of drinking in all that teacher is going to offer. But here's the thing, it's not like the teacher-student relationship in our world today where you show up for a class, maybe for an hour, learn a little bit, go home, maybe do some homework, and then after a semester you're done and you move on. No, this was a committed relationship where for years, maybe even an entire lifetime, that pupil, that disciple, that learner would attach themselves to the teacher. They would follow that teacher around. They would watch what that teacher would do. They would listen as that teacher taught in the hopes that what the teacher said would become the words that they would speak, that what the teacher did would become the way that they lived their lives. 
It was for the long haul. And as followers of Jesus Christ, that's what we've signed on for. Not just some short little journey, not just something that's going to last only for a little time, but no, it's an all-of-life journey, which is why we prayed those words that we did over Alessia this morning. We know that the journey that she's beginning today is a journey that is just beginning today, but it's going to last a lifetime. And there's lots of learning that needs to take place. There's lots of support that needs to happen. And that's true of all of us. Far, some of us have come in this journey of faith, but far, we still have to go. And so in the next few moments that we have this morning, because we're all on this journey and we're all still learning, I want us to dive into the substance of Jesus' prayer, but also what he has to say about whether we can trust that God is hearing our prayers. Immediately after this disciple makes this request of Jesus, teach us how to pray, he launches into this conversation and he tells them to pray. He tells them to pray in such a way that God is hallowed, that they recognize that God is transcendent, that he's other than them, that he exists outside of time and space, but has crafted these very things. So the first step of their prayers is to situate things in such a way that they realize who's in control, that it's not them. They need to honor God. They need to recognize his existence. And then Jesus continues on. He says, pray your kingdom come. It's an invitation to ask God to set the world aright. He teaches them to acknowledge not only that God is greater than them, that his power is vast. But he teaches them to recognize that God has a vision from the world. And that vision that God has for the world, the vision that God has for our lives, is often very different than the vision that we have for our own lives and for the world. And so again, he teaches us to rearrange and reorganize our priorities. Thy kingdom come. But Jesus doesn't just stay there with extolling the greatness and the goodness of God. He doesn't just stay there talking about God's power and might. No, he encourages the disciples then to pray about the ordinary and the mundane things of life. The ordinary things that we deal with on a daily basis, he roots this prayer back in real life. He says, pray to God and ask him to give us enough to eat today. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, and how true it is that we need that sustenance, but there are also many other things of daily life that we need to talk to God about. The pains, the frustrations, the challenges, the sleepless nights, the doctor's report, any number of things. We can talk to God about these things, Jesus says. Then he continues telling them they need to ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. Acknowledge to God that we do fall short, that we don't measure up to his perfect standard, that we need his help, that we're striving to forgive others, but we're imperfect at it. That that person who borrowed the tool out of our garage and never returned it, yeah, we're still a little angry with them. So help us, God. but they're to never lose sight of God's vision and what he wants to do, how his kingdom is different than the way our world often operates. 
And then going on, Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. Again, it's acknowledging our human frailty compared with the power and the might of God. The disciples need to come before God and acknowledge that their flesh is weak, that they need his help in overcoming the temptations that they face, but they can never do it on their own. Now what's interesting is, maybe we expect Jesus to continue on because if you look at the Lord's Prayer that's printed there in the center pane of our bulletins this morning, it continues on from there. But in Luke's Gospel, that's where the prayer ends. It ends not with those familiar words. Those familiar words of, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. No, Jesus shifts gears and he moves to another teaching moment. This time moving from the substance of our prayers to how we're to pray. And I love what Jesus says in this regard. He says, let me tell you about a man. And suddenly this man has a friend from out of town who drops in. And this guy doesn't just drop in at like 4.30 in the afternoon. He drops in well into the evening. Now we have to keep in mind they don't have Facebook. They don't have text messaging. They don't have phone calls and different things that they can make. So this friend is coming from a long distance. He just drops in. He's unannounced. It's late at night. But the host, the host is now in a bind. Not only does he have an unexpected guest, but the guest is hungry because he's traveled a long way. And the local giant's closed. The wise store has rolled up the welcome mat. You can't go there. Walmart's not accepting any further customers until first thing in the morning. So reluctantly, this, this man, wanting to meet the needs of his friend, he goes and he knocks on the door of a friend who also happens to be his neighbor. And in the process of knocking at the door, he wakes the man up. And as you can imagine, the man wasn't too happy. The man wasn't too delighted with being roused from bed. And he says, what is the matter with you? Everyone's already in bed. And in that days, it would have meant the entire family was likely in a tiny room all by themselves. So this man probably had to climb over his entire family to get to that door. And so if they weren't awake by now, they will be in the very near future. And so the man says, I'm not getting up. Go away before you wake up everyone. But Jesus says, continue to be persistent. If he won't get out of bed on the first try, keep banging at his door, keep beating at that door, and eventually he'll get up and he'll get you what you need. In other words, if you're persistent enough, you will get the bread that's needed and desired. Jesus says we too need to be persistent in our prayers. If we ask and get no response, we're to keep at it. We're to become increasingly persistent. We're to be adamantly seeking. And if that doesn't work, we're to keep knocking. Keep knocking at the door. But it's then that Jesus declares this. He says, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. There's value in persistence. An answer comes to those who are persistent. 
friends, may we this day be reminded that as we walk with God in faith, may we be encouraged to walk ever in relationship with Him, sharing with Him just what Jesus said, everything and anything that is on our hearts, talking to Him about our daily needs and the daily things of life, the daily struggles, the frustrations, the areas where we need help. And as we walk in faith, as we cry out to God in prayer, may we hear His voice and may we see those answers to prayer all around us. Amen.